I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And this is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. And on Odd Trilogies, we take a trio of films, whether tied by numerical order, thematic elements, cast and crew, etc. We talk about each film and discuss the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. Oh, I get the yawning. Okay. <laughs> we have an exciting episode today, uh, honestly, folks. Honestly, it's, it's, I mean, I think we'll have a fun conversation, but it is, sure, uh, sure. we thought we'd just jump right into it because today we are talking about a trilogy that most people won't really know it's a trilogy because this series has five films. Right. But we'll explain as to why we put, pick these three because today we are discussing the odd insidious trilogy. Yeah, some I guess I guess you could call it the the Lambert trilogy. You could call it the Lambert trilogy. I suppose I, is I one guess. way. Is this, is this you telling me that if I put in Odd Insidious Trilogy for the title, you're going to change it without me knowing? <laughs> I'm going to delete the episode and make you re-edit it. <laughs> but yeah, we call it the Lambert trilogy because Insidious has five films, but right. there are three films following the the Lambert family, which is the the main family and like the only family that's kind of like the lead in most of these films. But those films in the in that franchise are 2010's Insidious, 2013's Insidious Chapter 2, and the last film, 2023's Insidious The Red Door. And now you understand why we're talking about this, because the last film in this trilogy <laughs> for the Lamberts is a decade between each other. Right. Which we'll discuss as to why that is. With but, two films and two prequels in between. Yeah. And uh, to give more of a context in terms of Insidious, in case you're coming in here blind, which, okay, that's totally fine. I'm not judging. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, I think, yeah, I think most people have at least heard of insidious generally as a franchise it's kind of like conjuring or you know um it's funny that you say the conjuring because when it comes to the director of the conjuring james wan the insidious franchise specifically the first two films are kind of his intro into the spooky ghost haunted house situation he does kind of do a spooky ghost quote-unquote thing with dead silence right which is his creepy puppet film yeah puppet movie that's like his uh i think second film have you seen that i have okay i can't tell you much about it okay been a while i remember as a kid i was not i was not down for it because i didn't like (laughs) i didn't like scary puppets yeah was one of those kids where like Slappy from Goosebumps was like the oh, scariest yeah. thing. Well, in Dead Silent, that's like Slappy turned up to eleven. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like it's like murdering people per yeah. se. But ultimately, when I did finally watch the film, when I was strong enough, <laughs> I found out that like in terms of like Juan's earliest films, I think that's probably his worst. Oh, it might yeah. it might still be his worst film out of all that he's done so far, but. Ultimately, when it comes to Juan, most people before Insidious might also know Juan from starting the Saw franchise because he right. directed his first big film with Saw. His he did a short film that turned into a feature, right? Which was uh, co-written and also co-starring Lee Winnell, mm-hmm. who would ultimately be in this series as well as write and direct Upgrade and also the Elizabeth Moss adaptation of Invisible Man. Yeah. I think he might help write that one. I think he did, but yeah, yeah. and he he directed it at least. Yeah, but Insidious is you know haunted house, spooky, scary. Mm-hmm. You know, a family moves into a new house, but something's amiss. It feels like there's someone watching them. It's right. spooky. You've seen stuff like this before, but the thing about Insidious that is fascinating is it is kind of like the standard like low budget film done by a company that at the time you know there's like four companies attached to this film but the (laughs) one specific one that goes through a through line all of these regardless 
is Blumhouse, Mm -hmm. which is now a household name for horror, especially lower budget, you know, you know, straightforward, pretty easy horror. Yeah. Because at this point, I think we talked about it off mic, but at this point in Blumhouse's career, they didn't even have the logo. (laughs) The logo doesn't even show up in this film. Yeah. Like it's... Jason Blum is a producer, as right. well as Oren Pelly, who is mainly known for the Paranormal Activity series, yeah. which probably helped boost this film a bit mm-hmm. more with its production companies. But yeah. ultimately, Blumhouse, hilariously, watching these three films, goes from first film doesn't have the logo intro, the second film does, mm-hmm. and then the third film has, if anyone hasn't seen a Blumhouse film in a while... Has basically a legacy logo. Yeah, opening. it's like an MCU animated kind of <laughs> sequence. You know, like well, DreamWorks does it too, and yes. DC, and all these it, different figures. But it's funny that you compare it to DreamWorks when it's Blumhouse, but it's exactly that's correct. <laughs> yeah. It is basically like remember, horror DreamWorks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically the opening is, and the fact that that's only like 13 years ago is fascinating too. Yeah, the, like the fast growth, like growth of the company and. Yeah. Well, and I feel like Insidious, the first one, was kind of, I mean, I guess, I mean, you could call it the the dawn of Juan, but um, it, it was kind of just like, at least in my memory, like the dawn of kind of a, a new era in studio horror, mm-hmm. where it was like people actually got really excited for yeah. big horror releases. And, yes. Um, and this, yeah, I mean, obviously the Conjuring movies were huge, and this is kind of James Wan's prototype. Um, for well, yeah, Conjuring. At this point, I think when this film comes out, or right after this film comes out, probably when um, Insidious Chapter 2 comes out, I think when this film comes out, Paranormal Activity 2 has already happened. Yeah. It's about to come out. And then when Chapter 2 comes out is when, I believe, Paranormal Activity 3 has already come out. Mm-hmm. And those are films that, like, it's it's hard to gauge, especially if you maybe are a little bit older than us or even younger than us in terms of like how popular those films were. Those were films that, you know, theaters would sell out like showings and yeah. people would still sneak in and sit on the ground to watch the paranormal activity film, yeah. which is fucking wild. Yeah. They were a phenomenon. They were. And it's no surprise that, you know, having one of the creators surrounding paranormal activity or in Pelly involved yeah. with this film and production company wise, it's like, even a Juan has Saw behind him, and at that point, right. Saw is like maybe four films deep, almost, <laughs> maybe even yeah. more. But like Jeez. ultimately, you know, even though Juan has that on his kind of his resume, it's probably like you know, studios are like, ah, I don't know this guy. Besides Saw, his two other films are like the puppet film and a Kevin Bacon, John Goodman, like death wish esque film yeah. that I've heard is just a fucking downer. <laughs> uh, I heard it's also pretty decent, but I've also yeah. heard it's also like compared to other stuff in Juan's career. It's not the best. Yeah. Logan, and, you're, you're uh, sorry to rewind just a smidge, but your, your comment about saw already being well into its, you know, run by the time insidious came out. Oh yes. Out. You should talk about um, this. There were, seven saw films by the time this came out oh that makes sense or the, it's the same no same no year. you're right you're right um, because saw, and that's not me just like correcting you that's just like no. what these, these movies like it's you, weird to think saw as a franchise being that old you know what's funny about that, and being Andy, that deep. Is when i said that 
I knew I was probably wrong because <laughs> Saw is actually one of those franchises I've seen every one of the films. Right, right. Because it's like it's such a it's such a clusterfuck of a series, but it's yeah. also really fucking funny. Yeah. And yeah, at that point, because I think I think Saw Seven, if Seven's out, then that's the final chapter. Yeah. So like the the quote unquote final film had already been out at that point because <laughs> right. I think Saw yeah James Wan's yeah. first film is I think oh four. Yeah, I think Saw is for Saw is 2004. So yeah, Jesus, yeah. God. Yeah, I was like seven click- films in six years. That is fascinating. <laughs> well, yeah, after you said after you said uh, oh, Saw so was four films deep, I started typing into Google Saw four, and it goes like 2006 film. I was like, okay, Saw five, 2007 <laughs> film. Uh, okay, Saw six, 2009. Yeah, film. no, and, like, and, and I thought you were also going to bring up the fact that like now that we're talking about Saw. Another one comes out in September. Right, yeah. It's called Saw 10, even though I think now we're at the point <laughs> in the franchise where that's 11. Yeah. Because we got uh, Spiral, yeah. the book of Saw, which came right. out a few years ago that well, I reviewed. Well, the rules and... are made up and the points don't matter. And honestly, in Saw, that's that's the perfect way to describe <laughs> that series. It's the whose line is it anyway of horror. Yeah. So, I mean, again, at that point, to even, even put more groundwork in the foundation of where horror was in the late 2000s, early 2010s, Saw had already hit its final chapter. <laughs> Paranormal Activity was like at that point where it was still selling out theaters, but it also was getting to the point where it wasn't even trying to hide the fact that it wasn't real, that it wasn't yeah. like a documentary. It was more like just yeah. like a playful I feel like that was mockumentary. Just, at least from my memory, kind of just like a fad with the first one. Yeah. Like, kind of they tried to do mm-hmm. sort of the Blair Witch thing. Yes. Um, but yeah. And yeah. And that, so at that point, when it comes to horror, it's like. The biggest names at that point are those two, as well as yeah. like maybe a few things here. A lot of uh, remakes. Yeah, two thousands is like torture porn and remakes. Yes, in terms of horror. So like. yeah, you get the Hostel series. Like, there's only two films, but it feels like yeah. a series considering what it does. Uh, you know, Friday the Thirteenth remake happens in 09. Yeah. I think Nightmare on Elm Street remake comes out this year. Yeah, twenty ten. Yeah. So it's like you know. Well, it's we are now in the remake city. You know, Rob Zombie's Halloween's already happened at this point. Right. You have all these different different ideas of quote unquote horror happening at once. Yeah. And then here comes a film that is barely over a million dollars, has a cast of practically no names, excluding, I would say, the psychic. But even the psychic, I would even say, is yeah. the big name of this film. Had, had, uh... Was would Rose Byrne have been known by that point? Not at Not that. Really. I think the biggest thing she would have done at that point is Twenty Eight Weeks Later. Oh yeah, which also has a young Jeremy Renner who was also building up at yeah. that point. She has a small part in one of the prequels, doesn't she? One of the Star she's, Wars prequels. She's one of Padme's uh, yeah. stand-ins. Yeah, she in is. Two, yeah. two or three. Yeah, because Kira Knightley's one, and yeah. I think Rose Byrne is two. Yeah, and she might even show up in three, but yeah, yeah, um, she wasn't like a. Definitely mm-hmm. not like a regular lead. Yeah, because like the leads in this in Insidious are Rose Byrne and Patrick Wilson. And right. I'm gonna tell everyone now listening because we've already talked about so many different actors we put in the pocket of like, yep, these are guys I would love to watch more movies of yeah. every time they're in. Yeah. We talked about that with Grillo. We talked about it during the Darabont uh, trilogy mm-hmm. with Thomas Jane, and now we're gonna add another guy in that pocket. 
with fucking Patrick Wilson. Right. It is astounding to think that the first time I had ever seen him in a film <laughs> was a little independent film called Hard Candy. Have you ever heard oh, of yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Elliot Page, right. where he plays a pedophile yeah. that Elliot Page uh, entraps. <laughs> right, right. And it's fascinating to think that, like, that's the first time I saw that man and was like, oh, this is, like, again, young enough where it's like, well, this is a weird film for me to watch. But, like, I kind of, like... He's doing a good job in this. Yeah. And cut to now with what his career has done, especially with what his career has done thanks to Insidious and right. The Conjuring. Like, now Patrick Wilson is is a character we put, an actor we put in our back pocket. Where it's yeah. like, when he's in something, I'm happy. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's going to be A+. Plus, no. But it does mean it's also like, oh, man, he's going to play his A game into it. I always enjoy him. Like, I don't always enjoy the movies he's in, yeah. but I always enjoy watching him. Because at this, because um, again, on this podcast, we love Patrick Wilson. We do love Patrick Wilson, and on, honest to God, because it seems like this would be something that I would fucking love if happened. <laughs> if Patrick Wilson even hears this, I would love to talk to the man. I doesn't. It doesn't. Patrick Wilson is our new Boo Boo Stewart. I, I mean, I would also talk to Boo Boo Stewart. <laughs> we'll have them both too. on. We'll have all of them. Let's have Boo Boo, Thomas, uh, Frank Grillo, and Patrick Wilson yeah. all at the same time. Yeah. Don't tell them why they're there. No. Um, they they won't. It'll be like an Eric no. Andre situation. Yes. They'll just be dumbfounded mm-hmm. by. But again, with Patrick Wilson, I think at that point in both their careers, Roseburn hasn't even done Bridesmaids yet, or is it about uh, to? Right. Yeah. About to release. Patrick Wilson at that point had done Watchmen, and it yeah, also I guess was, that was he kind was the big thing. He, he was did. the antagonist. In the A Team film, yeah, which is I think another which bigger is the same film year. he did. I think so. Yeah, and so ultimately you have two actors who I think are really good, but at that point have yet to be given the chance to show how good they right. are in a film that ultimately, uh, I mean, sell like, makes buckets. This is a film that yeah. makes a hundred million plus dollars Off on one and a half. And a half. <laughs> yeah. A million and a half budget. Which is insane. Which, which like, is, yeah. I mean, I know a hundred million is like, you know, small potatoes nowadays, but like on a million dollar budget, that's insane. You should be pumping one of these suckers out every weekend if you're a smart studio. I don't even think this is a tinfoil hat theory. I wouldn't be surprised if the confidence and the success of Insidious gave Jason Blum the confidence that he has now that leads him to be like, Fuck you! I'm gonna do a Five Nights at Freddy's trilogy, and it's gonna make money. <laughs> oh, sure. And it's yeah. like because at this point in his career, like Blumhouse is all over the place. They even have a subsidiary called Blumhouse Tilt, oh, yeah. which I think does more TV yeah. related stuff as well as more like you know maybe direct to streaming yeah. video and sure. Um, but you know at that at Insidious is kind of when it feels like the era of paranormal activity while that series is still going on at this point and like the right. last paranormal activity film i believe until they come back again which they yeah. do come back again in paramount plus's original film and apparently another reboot's happening uh-huh. but i think it's like 2015 is like when the last paranormal that's activity the film marked happens. ones or no uh, that's the ghost the dimension ghost dimension the ghost yeah. dimension uh i can't it's always funny to say that out loud <laughs> um but yeah, so it seems like the hype of paranormal activity, while it's almost dying down in terms of that initial wave, you know, wave that Blair Witch esque like marketing campaign that threw people off and got people to demand it to their theater, <laughs> and while Saw is like also coming down, and anything that is even close to being considered torture porn is just basically getting thrown 
to direct to streaming or direct to DVD. Yeah. Um, you have Insidious coming in just making the just a clear cut, low budget. Yeah. Just like taking a ham sandwich and making a fucking buffet out of just a mm-hmm. creepy house, creepy haunted house film. Yeah. And it does not, you know, doesn't reinvent the wheel. It also doesn't look phenomenal <laughs> because no. it's clearly a film that has to. It clearly was a film where the style had to come from the directing rather than the actual cinematography. Right, right, yeah. And and that is, I think, probably, you know, if I had to pick one thing that made this film so uh, at least perceived as distinct and original and fresh, it had to be Juan. Yes, 100%. Juan just swinging the camera around in weird ways and oh yeah, doing weird lighting tricks and stuff. Because yeah, I, I would agree. This film, I don't think it looks good, but it looks interesting. <laughs> don't even um, don't be don't be too nice. When we talk about this, you were just like, this kind of looks like shit. <laughs> well, the second one is worse. The I second think. one the is second worse. one looks worse yeah. despite having a More bigger money, budget. I was yeah, say. Um, and that's the one that really made me angry no um (laughs) but this one yeah it's an ugly movie but it's also an interesting movie just to look at Mm because it's just yeah horror of the time was not exceptionally good in general or interesting to look at Um, yeah and this was somebody with a serious style and a love for the genre coming in and making his big swing yeah, he even he though makes, it's not like you know, like you said, it doesn't reinvent the wheel, no. but it is kind of a fresh coat of paint, I guess. He makes the simplest tricks work incredibly well, in terms of just like you know that that's an edit, you know that this is how they're doing, you know that like this is working because the score by Joseph Bashara is like hitting that violin hard to make you piss <laughs> yeah. yourself. But yeah. even then, it's just like there's still a talent and a style to it that is like. Even though you know exactly how they're doing it, it's like, God damn, yeah. it still works. Like, yeah. there's there's little shots like, you know, when the weird long-haired, uh, it looks like Glenn Danzig uh, <laughs> ghost is standing yeah. standing behind the Shaw in Callie's bed. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. know he's there, and you know it's when it comes back, he's not going to be there. Right, right. Like, when you do stuff like that, or like when Josh is in the further and there's like clearly like he runs into other people you know it's not going to be a fun conversation or something yeah. that's not going to be a little bit fucked up involved right. in that right. like ultimately everything it's doing here is just you know again it's not it's not pulling any punches but it's also not pretending like the punches are the hardest thing you've ever felt <laughs> like no. it's it is easily a film that is just going like listen you've <laughs> seen you've probably seen the exorcist yeah. You've probably seen Amityville, or if you haven't, you know what these are. You know what these kind of films are. Have fun. And that's kind of all this film feels like. And I think yeah. it too has yeah. that element to it as well. But, I mean, there is one aspect to it that is entirely, you know, I think original for this type of film, which right. is the the twist. Because the... Insidious One does have a twist. You mean like at the very uh, end? Well, not... Or, or oh, the, the astral... The astral projection yeah, part. Because... Yeah, okay. This is what makes what stands insidious. I think what also led for it making a hundred plus million dollars yeah. is the fact that this isn't ends up being. It's, the twist is it's not a haunted house film. Right. It's a haunted kid film <laughs> because Lee Winnell and Jace, James Wan basically went, oh no, like they're not in a spooky old house in California. Right. The kid can the kid that gets in a coma 
it has can a ast- power. He can astral project his soul <laughs> into a different space, and he's trapped in that space, and all these ghosts are trying to take over his body. Uh, yeah. And it's, I just... <laughs> it's almost like Juan and 1L were, like, just so tired of, like, the haunted mm-hmm. house trope that they were yeah. just like, we gotta... We gotta blow people's pants off with the most convoluted explanation of why these ghosts are showing. Up. Oh yeah, because <laughs> it's like no, nobody died in the house. Nobody no. like it's not an Indian burial ground. No, no, no. no. <laughs> there is another dimension, and this kid is traveling to it. <laughs> yeah, and he had no idea that he could do this. Yeah. So when it ultimately leads to him losing his body, it's it, it makes sense in terms of how no one knows about this except yeah. for the psychic they hire. Right. Which, again, the psychic aspect of it is almost like, again, a, a twist on something we've talked about, especially mm-hmm. in the Exorcist trilogy, but like the the priest that comes in to save yeah. the day. Yeah. Instead, you have this nice old lady mm-hmm. who has a, just a delightful, you know, light blue coat. And she has yeah, this a nice little... Yeah, like your grandma. Like she, yeah. Just, yeah. She has this nice smile and basically looks at the father of this family and goes... Oh, we've met. You have traumatic experience you don't even know about. Right. And it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, we're yeah. going in. Because I will say, because is this the first time you've seen it in a while? Was This wasn't the first time you've seen this. No. Two I, was the first time you saw seen it, right? I saw it, I think, the first time, honestly, just a few years ago. Okay. Um, I had sense. never watched it because I had seen the Conjuring movies and I liked those, but I'd always heard the Insidious movies are just worse Conjurings, um, which holds <laughs> up. Honestly, uh, it's, it's true. Um, it makes it's that's no, a yeah, good the, way to put it. The chapter two, this was the first time I'd seen. Okay, yeah. I thought I knew there's one that was like that, but at least for me, this is the first time I've seen the first film in yeah at least half a decade. Yeah, like the first film, I remember when I saw it for the first time. Cause I don't know if I saw it in theaters. But I definitely watched it with a bunch of friends, and that ending genuinely shook me and was like, holy fuck, this is – I've not seen a horror film actually kind of affect me in a while. Yeah. And then, like, you know, that leads to the sequels and seeing, like, you know, at least the second one in theaters, and then we saw Red Door. And mm-hmm. ultimately coming back to the first film, realizing what it kind of spawned in terms of a new wave of horror. Yeah. Um, it is – this film is quaint. This film is – Very straightforward, again, stripped down, which is not a bad thing, but it also is kind of shocking to go back to this and go, wow, this really is just like pick up and go. Yeah. It does not hold – it doesn't hold any punches until the astral projection part. Yeah. Like – I mean, yeah, what what I think stood out to you most at this time going through it? Um, So I I think the – what's interesting to me is like obviously we've talked about kind of the state horror was in at that point yeah um and it had become very kind of cyclical and same things over again i mean literally you know remakes and stuff and relying on like really gratuitous gore over actually like stirring up suspense um and i think this film like rewatching it more recently kind of reminded me that like okay on one hand james wan is kind of partially responsible for like sort of (laughs) taking the uh taking the annoying music jump scare to a new level um because throughout the 2010s that just gets like worse and worse in movies funny Um, enough i think it even it like overstays its welcome a few years after this with ouija 
Yeah. Like yeah. Ouija basically is like, okay, I don't want I'm sick yeah. of I'm sick of yeah. this. Yeah, for several already. years after this, there's <laughs> like, okay, every movie now has to have a big violin ring like yeah. every every scare. Um mm-hmm. but um and while he is kind of responsible for like driving that into the stratosphere, this there's also like a lot of care taken in this movie to like kind of milk the scares in a way where you're like okay i know there's a scare coming but i don't know exactly when he's gonna deliver it yeah and so there's there's not that it's a ton of fake outs but it's kind of a lot of like oh there was a chance for a spook and it didn't happen well there was a chance for a spook and it didn't oh gotcha um and then and so there's a lot of i don't know it, it but it's done you know, it's not. I, I these movies don't really scare me, but I admire no. the. I don't know the the willingness to sit in a scary moment um, yeah. that Juan has that mm-hmm. was maybe not so popular at the time, um, and I think obviously wowed audiences. Yeah, I I think there's if there's one thing that I was shocked seeing this one, and I'm not saying they're all equally um, developed because. There is there is one child in the Lambert family that just is there. Yeah. Um, you know, shout out to our boy Foster who is just in who's just in scenes. Yeah. And that child actor is doing his damnedest. Yeah. I'm trying you, to think, what's the most significant Foster moment? Is it in the red door? It it is in Red Door, but like before like in, in terms of young Foster. Yeah. Like it's probably in two when they help uh when they help mom get away from yeah, I guess uh, so. Yeah, when like help get away. Yeah, Foster's but, really just set dressing, though. He really is, <laughs> and that's funny to say because there's a literal baby in this film that does jack shit. <laughs> right. But like Callie feels more invested because it's like the ghosts fuck with that baby constantly. Yeah, where it's like they're just talking through the baby monitor and yeah, and the baby's constantly getting pulled yeah. out of her crib and <laughs> yeah. put on the floor, and it's the, like the Glenn Danzig ghost won't let Callie sleep. <laughs> Nothing genuinely bad ever happens to the baby. No, the baby just it gets used as a tool to fuck with her mom. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> but it's it's clear the especially now that we watched it just a few years back, like the Exorcist inspiration in terms of like just spending time with the family yeah that's it true is just you're kind of just like There's i forgot more family drama than yeah. i remember i forgot like i just i completely forgot the scene where like uh rose Byrne is like trying to make breakfast for all the kids while the baby's crying and right. patrick wilson can't do anything because he has to go to work and there's like just such these mundane scenes. Yeah. And even knowing where it's going to go, it's just like, damn, I, yeah. they're fully going into this. Yeah. And it, but it, thankfully, it does lead to moments where it's like when normal shit is happening and they're not, you know, really worrying about anything, including their kids. Like when that stuff's happening, that's when their guard is down. Yeah. And you lead to moments with like Dalton going up in the attic, yeah. falling off a ladder, going into a coma. And ultimately right. kicking off the weird shit, um, which you I think you say perfectly is like constantly like, oh, this could be a scare. Nope. Yeah. This is a scare. No, just kidding. And then all of a sudden, boom. Yeah. And it still gets you. And it's still like, okay, fine. I yeah. get that. But um, And you're right. Now it feels quaint and kind of tired, but like it's because like that's kind of what every horror movie became after this. Oh, yeah. Was I mean, that kind of repetitive cycle of no scare, no scare, scare. I still remember no scare, no scare, like, because I saw chapter two in theaters and I just remember the theater was electric, but also filled with just 
the most gullible people I have ever seen. <laughs> yeah. At that point, I was like, when I go to horror films, not saying that no one else could catch a scare, but like nine times out of ten, if I was in a film with friends, I jumped because they jumped. Yeah. And when, it's, it, yeah. when I saw Chapter 2, there was just one blonde woman behind me <laughs> that just fell for every single fake scare, regular yeah. scare. And it's like the the energy is so electric in a theater when it's full for a horror film. Yeah. And Insidious absolutely had that energy. Right. And you can definitely feel that. Even when you're just watching it by yourself, it's like, I bet if I saw this in a theater, a blonde Everybody woman would jumped, piss me yeah. off behind me. But also everyone would jump. <laughs> it yeah. Was, yeah. It, is, uh, it has that energy to it. And I think Juan and Winnell have – I mean, they literally made a whole film where it's just Car- Carrie Elwes and fucking Lee – sitting like in a room yeah trying to figure out whether or not they should saw their leg off <laughs> and they made that engaging and right work right and so like they know how to make a whole house feel like five different stages yeah and they do an incredible job of like really showing you the architecture as a viewer so you at least know you understand the yeah, the, yeah if you see the like a, if you see a cut to a room that has nobody in it you know what that room is yeah. you know where you know how the they're house. gonna get there yeah yeah and ultimately, it leads to, you know, it's a film that's very engaging. I think both. Pa- I think the one thing that caught me off guard seeing this film was Patrick Wilson's performance. Sure. Like knowing full well where his character is going, and like you know Lee and James are very well aware of you know how the film's supposed to end and what his right, character has gone right. through. Patrick, I mean Wilson does such a nuanced performance, especially when he's told he doesn't like he when he's never. You know, he, he met Elise. Yeah. And so, like, and he's dealt with this before. Yeah. And you can see in his face, like, watching someone try to build, like, try to build something but doesn't have the resources to do it. Like, he's trying to force himself to remember something he can't physically, rem- like, mentally yeah. remember. Yeah. And does such a good job with that. Rose Byrne does a great job and clearly has the easiest quote-unquote role of all of them because she has to be the scared mom who is the only one who sees this happen right for most of the film because patrick wilson for nine times out of ten is not sees nothing or is working as a teacher yeah and um ultimately that's like it's like a good like 30 45 of that Mm -hmm. and then it goes right into like you know introducing specs and tucker who are played by lee winnell and angus sampson yeah. As, like, these uh, nerds, like, geek squad-looking mm-hmm. ghost detectives who, like, immediately Patrick Wilson's like, I don't, like, I don't get these guys <laughs> out of my house. Yeah, they're kind of doofuses. They are. Um, and they're not as doofy as they are later in the series. Yeah. Especially in two and... Cause- yeah, they're really not in the first one that heavily, are they? No, the the big thing about it is the specs. They're just helping out. Yeah, specs talks too much, and Tucker barely talks, but is eating the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And I think in we've, you don't really even know what each one does for one another. Honestly, it's not until the <laughs> the the first prequel film <laughs> where they really where they talk about like why they are a duo. Yeah, and it's funny because it's a stupid reason, but. Um, Ultimately, like, yeah, when Tucker and Specs get introduced, it almost adds a bit of levity mm-hmm. because it's like it, it doesn't feel like like it could feel like a situation like in the first Paranormal Activity when like I think, you know, there's a one point in that original Paranormal Activity, a psychic comes into the house, stops at the front door and goes, I can't come in. Yeah. Like instead you have two guys that are like, 
are they, you know, telling the truth? Are they full of shit? And then ultimately you find out they're not full of shit. They believe they've seen ghosts. Mm-hmm. They're uh, genuine detectives, genuine investigators, but they're doesn't mean they're great at fighting ghosts. No. Yeah. When, yeah. when shit hits the fan, they're kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, um, which is why when Elise gets introduced as like the third of the team, yeah. who's the psychic who can see the ghosts and um, knows about what she calls the further, which yeah. is like the ghost dimension, the spirit realm. Yeah. Um, is that what the? Oh wait, no, that's paranormal activity. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's they don't call it the ghost dimension. Yeah. In the it's series. just the further, right? It's just the further, which is if you want to do a poll to yourselves out there about what's cooler, the name further or the ghost dimension, I feel like it's an easy answer, but that's up to you. I don't, I don't think either one is particularly phenomenal. No. Um, Cause again, it's like, it's basically the further is like trying to give it an ominous sounding right. name, but when you listen to it now, it's like, yeah, it's just, it's kind of silly. Yeah. It's kind of silly, but it works. And you know, again, Juan, I think Juan's a great director, especially when he's given a chance to flex and shine. And I think Insidious definitely, when it comes to the scares, while they are just some of the cheapest shit. I honestly think it's much cheaper in 2, which is yeah. why I think I think in 2 where it's like, I remember when I saw 2 in theaters, I was like, that was fun. Um, I feel like if they keep making more, the scares are going to get worse. But, yeah. like, yeah. it is what it is. But at least in the first film... And the second one does this too, where it's like they set up so many gags just in your face that they're not going to use until later. Like <laughs> the baby monitor, the, right. the books on the shelf, mm. the piano, and the song in the piano that isn't even a thing until like the second film, oh, which yeah. is really cool. Because um, I completely forgot that Rose Byrne's character is supposed to be a singer. Right. <laughs> and uh, she creates a song that is really touching for both her and josh it's like his song she wrote wrote it for him yeah yeah and then in the second film she he uses that song to convince her that something's wrong yeah and ultimately like there is well as quaint and straightforward as it is there is a lot of effort and passion put into the film yeah and it's solid all across the board and to be honest even though i think a lot of the stuff that i really like because even after, like, this is, like, maybe the fourth, fifth time I've seen this film. It's at the point now where it's, like, when I see the lipstick demon reveal, uh-huh. it doesn't really do much for me anymore. Because no, you it's, it. you've seen yeah. it so many times. Yeah. I will say, though, it but was... That, that knocked people's socks off. Oh! When it, it, like, the first time. I think what I the reason why I saw the film, like, when I rented it and stuff, is because I saw that still. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And then you watch the film, and it's like, it... It plays it plays it so hard and so obvious as to what it's gonna cut to like something oh it's right behind me isn't yeah, it yeah, yeah. but the fact that it does it so straight it works very well yeah and I think now when I watch it I just think it's funny the fact that the guy that plays the lipstick demon <laughs> is the composer of yeah. all three of these films yeah and uh, he plays it well for for a, a demon with spooky claws a wild face I think like he has a snake tongue yeah and hooves. Right. He's got hooves, uh, which I don't think comes back in the red door. I don't know if we ever see hooves. Uh, he, his look changes drastically. It does in the third film. Um, and it's is not. He, it's, is he in the, the prequels at all? Yes and no. Oh, okay. Well, I can talk about that. I mean, he's. They use him as, like, the cheapest of jump scares. Okay. 
to be like, hey, remember, this is an Insidious film. Oh, yeah, yeah, as yeah. If, I as if I hadn't watched that. a full film that's in the same <laughs> world. Because both uh, Insidious Chapter 3 and Chapter 4, might as well get these out of the way. Uh, the reason why we're not talking about those two in this trilogy is because they're both prequels that follow the psychic. Yeah. I call them the wacky adventures of Elise films. Yeah. Like a double feature that is just following her life up until the first film. Right. Because in the first film, um, spoilers in case that it, this wasn't already clear for the first film, Elise gets fucking killed. <laughs> oh, yeah. She gets, she gets choked to death. Right. And so at a certain point in the series, when they could keep it going further after the chapter two, they just go like, oh, it might be kind of stupid if we just have ghost Elise <laughs> the whole time. So yeah. let's just like... Let's make a film about how Elise got her groove back and also a film where she has a tragic family backstory. <laughs> and that's what three and four are, and they're practically useless. And the third one's dog shit. Like, I remember hating the third one the first time I saw it. And when I watched it this time, I just was so... Bored. I could not... Couldn't even give half a shit. Yeah. And the fact that it's directed by Specs himself, Lee Winnell, <laughs> and he also, I think, wrote the script. It's like, dude. What happened? I hope you do better shit at this. And he does. He, he does, does much yeah. better shit. But my God. And then four is just fucking funny. Four is just so goddamn silly at a certain point <laughs> that it's like, it's hard to be mad at it because it's just throwing shit at the wind. It's just throwing shit at the wall just to see if you react. Yeah. And at a certain point, you can be like, oh, God, that's kind of cool. But also just be like, that's just stupid. Yeah, right. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, the lipstick demon does show up in those two, but it's ultimately like if one of them feels one of them is basically like the an ending stinger where it's like, oh, the lipstick yeah. demon pop up. Maybe he'll show up in four. He does. But it's another <laughs> stinger to be like, oh, boy, right here he comes. And ultimately, like the most the best lipstick demon shit is one. And then in Red Dorks, he's not really a part of two. Which is a shocking yeah, thing, is because yeah. basically it is it is discovered that the what most people probably know about Insidious, the red like the blood red demon that is pretty much seen in most of the stills, that is practically used in all of the marketing and leads to in the first film a scene with Tiny Tim's tiptoe through the tulips right, right. that also basically makes it like the unofficial Insidious theme song. Yeah, yeah. Um, ultimately, that character. Uh, kidnaps Dalton's soul is the one that is holding him hostage. Yeah, and so that leads to when Josh, the father, played by Patrick Wilson, is ultimately has to be told like you have powers, you just have to remember and also go into the spirit realm and get your get son it back. back. Yeah, it ultimately leads to the finale being him saving his son while in the um, lipstick demon's den. Which, looking at it now. You know, back back when the f film first came out, it is striking. Yeah. Because he basically lives in a little, a little den with like yeah. marionette puppets. It's this yeah, uh, kooky little set. Yeah, and he's got like he sharpens his fingers when he's bored. Right. And then ultimately, when you go outside of his room, it just looks like an event space they uh, rented out <laughs> yeah. and put candles and made red lights and shit. Yeah. But again, the first time, the first time you see that scene, it's just like it's striking. Yeah. Because the further is all fog. It's Blue all just light. darkness, yeah. except for, like, occasionally you come past a light. or Well, the characters have to take a lantern with them yes. to keep them safe. The only light sources you usually get in the further are from the lanterns they take or from, like, appliances and, like, the houses or, yeah. like, the, the buildings yeah. they go through. Or if it's a red door. Because right. usually a red door kind of has a light over it because that's kind of, like, 
even though it's I don't even think it's fully explained even as we get to the red door uh, yeah. film but like the red doors are basically kind of portals to an extent to like they're like different por- aren't they are they, they I thought the red door always led to the lipstick face demon no or because they use the red door in chapter two to lead them oh, to yeah. the house in the 80s, yeah. which is where old Josh gets to talk to young Josh. Right. Uh, so, like, the Red Door is almost Yeah, the Red kind Door of, is just kind of this nebulous device. It is. And then in the prequels, they try to explain what the Red Doors are and, like, what causes them, and it doesn't enter anything yeah. either. And so then the final film, which is named The Red Door, does nothing else to further explain. It just has a Red Door. <laughs> yeah. It just has a Red Door, and it is like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. And so ultimately, the, yeah, so when the the further is very, you know, dimly lit, but it does have light from time to time. And it's not until you go to, like, the den of the lipstick demon where you just see way too much light. And it's all red. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, thank you. I don't want to be a part of this. Right. I don't need to be here. Um, and as you get to that finale of the first Insidious, in my opinion, that is still the best part of the film is, like, the last 15 to 20 minutes. That where is, he's going through the further yeah when he's going through the further when he saves dalton and then when he ultimately josh comes face to face with the ghost that haunted him when he was a kid right which leads to a good moment because basically also something i completely forgot is at the beginning of insidious you see shots of a kid sleeping uh in black and white and then like a random ghost outside of a window and you end up being told that was josh right when he was going through his yeah there's these uh there's like Elise shows him photographs of him, right? Yeah, which, and in this lady is in the the background of all the photos. Mm-hmm. And the best part about those photos is that you see the exact same photos in every single film. The only difference is they every get a different, film, every well, except for three and four. I mean, oh, like in this trilogy. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, in in chapter one, chapter two, and Red Door. Yeah, you basically it's like the film has to stop for a hole to show Josh <laughs> these pictures again. Right. But what's funny is is that the actor that plays young Josh is different in every single one of these. <laughs> they redo the photos. Yeah, because yeah. in the first film, it's just like a kid that you see in the beginning in the bed, and that's it. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. actually do much acting in right. the film. In the second film, it's a different kid that you actually see a scene where he acts because... Yeah, there's a flashback yeah, secret. The whole prologue in Chapter 2 is basically Josh is haunting and how they stopped it. Quote-unquote stopped it. And then in Red Door, it is basically like reintroducing the idea of the astral projection stuff to Josh. And yeah. so he looks at the pictures again. Right. Which is funny because in Red Door, there's also another set of pictures that he's looking at. So there's a scene where you have, you have him go through one set of pictures and then he shows a person that set of pictures and then he gets another set of pictures <laughs> it's there's a lot of patrick wilson looking, looking through at pictures, pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah being like and he What's does a this? damn good job doing it he really does uh i for someone who's probably seen him a thousand times <laughs> at that point he really sells it well yeah but the climax to insidious is i think the best part of the film i also think the ending twist is phenomenal it's still, I think, is still rock solid, like shakes decor, like hearing Rose Burns exasperated, like, <sighs> yeah, yeah, and then just cutting, it's just freeze it's frame, so yeah. fucking good. They cut into black, and then it's the Insidious logo in red, mm-hmm. which is also something I completely forgot. It's the film series is called Insidious because in the first film, Elise describes that like nine times out of ten, things in the further are just lost souls that don't know what else to do, but sometimes in the further. 
there is something malevolent, insidious that try to take advantage of the people that can go right. in between worlds, and that's why it's called Insidious. That's why there's five films. Yeah, because it's because like, there's because just, Insidious is a cool word to describe demons yeah. and ghosts. Now, if you're gonna ask me why all the posters have a red SI, I can't tell you that. Yeah, it's a weird yeah. one. We yeah. don't know why, but yeah, the the end of the film, the end of the first film ends on a cliffhanger twist, and it hilariously took three years to get chapter two off the mm-hmm. ground. And I think a lot of that is also to do with the fact that between one and two is another little film. Maybe people know that James Wan did. I don't know. You maybe heard of the conjuring yeah. where like literally the same year, that chapter two comes out, but months prior James Wan has another friend, like basically another franchise yeah. starter coming out. This one even bigger than yeah. insidious and also shows Wan. Um, I think in a better light as a director. Well, because like, I think he's just a great job in one. The first Conjury makes you go like, wow. Yeah. He really improved between yeah. films when he got to that point. Improved in like every aspect. The yeah. horror is better. Oh, the yeah. production is better. The like the family drama is better. I think the Warrens are a more compelling version of the kind of family unit he was trying out in yes. Insidious. Yes. Which um, we, we've, okay, in case you don't know, we did talk about when the conjuring was still a trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a few years back. So you should definitely check out that episode more of a deep dive into those. But yeah, overall, just like when people, like Andy said, when people describe the Insidious films as a shittier conjuring, it is a bit of a diss, but also not entirely incorrect in terms yeah. of, like, they are weaker films that show promise that ultimately that promise led to another franchise yeah. that, like, Juan is more invested in, I'd say. I do kind of remember around that time, like, mid-2010s, there being kind of a, um, you know, kind of a, a, like, fratty rivalry among just moviegoers between like oh i'm more of an insidious guy or i'm more yeah. of a conjuring guy um kind of like uh like were you a hangover guy or a stepbrothers guy um, god vastly different types you know um <laughs> but like yeah. I, I can see that but I the can funny s- thing is like they're both made by the same dude and they're both yeah. pretty similar <laughs> he gets paid for both he gets paid for whichever one you love and go see yeah and ultimately yeah it's because I can see to a degree if people at that time think like Insidious is more their cup of tea because it's much more, it's much more quote unquote grounded in its cinematography and yeah. its look and it's, it's modern. And it's not like set yes. in the past and yeah. yeah. And it's because like The Conjuring, I if, I'm not saying I know this for a fact for Juan, but it feels like Juan is approaching The Conjuring as not a replacement for The Exorcist, but the probably the closest thing he will do yeah. to doing an Exorcist film. Yeah. And leads to a film that feels a little bit more grander, feels a little bit more, I would say, sophisticated in terms of like how it handles its scares and its cinematography and its characters. And like like you said, a little bit more developed across the board. Right. And because of that, when it, you know, I would love to look into more in terms of like how this was for Juan, but like to basically do both the you know, Owen Cities 2 and The Conjuring at the same time. <laughs> I feel like it's pretty clear which one he had more fun doing. Yeah. Even though I will say Insidious Chapter 2 is, I think, endearing because it is fucking silly. When you bring in the con- <laughs> when you bring in the situation with Chapter 2 being like, all right, the first film introduces the idea of astral projection. Let's say, hypothetically, we need to have another angle here that we didn't talk about in the first film. What could it be? And then I... I would assume it had to be Lee that brings it up, but it's like, 
what if the further doesn't follow time what if it's basically like at a certain point the further is you know its own place in time and ultimately if you get stuck in the further or if you travel the further you might travel to a point in time that's already happened yeah and so it's in chapter two hilariously and i think at the time this came out i remember being like Oh, that's so smart. They thought of this. They must have thought of this all along. There's like, there are scares in the first Insidious, like Andy said, that are just like, oh, that's not really a scare. The ultimately chapter two uses to be like, well, the reason why it wasn't a scare is because that wasn't a spooky ghost that did that. That was future Patrick Wilson right. getting accidentally brought back to the first film's events yeah. to go around the house and is also very unaware that it is a past tense like house and yeah. like at a certain point like he hears i think i think he hears callie uh screaming or uh what is rose bird's character again um because um, renee? renee renee yes yeah. when renee is screaming and he hears her and he comes to run and, and save her it's also when he runs into glenn Danzig ghost yeah. and realizes oh shit this is that scene where like i was in the bedroom yeah and rose Byrne screamed Renee screamed, and then, you know, what's again? What also shows up in that same scene is uh, uh, Elise is still is still running in the further, and also has force powers, yeah. which is fucking again, just glorious scene. Just an, an older, just an old woman coming up to like an intimidating foe, supposed to be an intimidating ghost, and just pushing them yeah, through, a wall, through a wall, just with force powers, kind <laughs> of. Is it's just which too. I don't think that ever anything like that ever happens again not in the not in this uh, trilogy in the prequels probably, in the yeah. prequels yes in the yeah. prequels they you get it's funny because it's almost implied in the first film because at least also calls people like josh and his son dalton yeah uh travelers is yeah. what her term is for people that can astral project and she implies that she can't do that well, my God, uh, in the prequels, it almost implies that she fucking can. <laughs> right. Actually, no, she can. At least they talk about it in the... And they also make it seem like it's also a genetic thing because she also has another family member that can do that. Yeah. And so, like... But those are the prequels. Fucking... Fuck those things. But in terms of these films, like... When you get... To, chapter 2 is just... It, it's, it's balls to the wall, just silly in terms of, like, the new ghost antagonist. The returning ghost yeah. is developed in a way I don't think anyone would have anticipated in terms of yeah. the, the backstory surrounding it. Also, not... Well, it's kind of, it's kind of like, a an explanation in the same vein as the explanation of the, quote-unquote, like, ghosts in the first film. Yes. Like, the first yes. film is like, oh, these aren't just dead people who died here. Uh, it's another dimension, and your son has superpowers. And this is like, oh, she's not just a, a bride. She's a man who was abused by his mother and forced to pretend to be a girl. Yeah, like it's it's like yeah, like, the, Jesus the, Christ, the bride in black, because that's the ghost that is haunting yeah. Josh in the first home. Ultimately, it was revealed to be a man with mental issues that met Josh. Yeah. At like like right before he passed away, it almost seemed like it was implied that he was jealous of Josh because Josh was a normal boy, right. like a normal kind of dude, and wanted his life because, like Andy said, his mom abused <laughs> the bride in black. Uh, I think is uh, fuck. What's his name? Uh, God, his name. His name has uh, 
it almost has like a fucking James McAvoy and Split kind of name to it, like a almost like a silly oh. could be considered. You're talking a little... about who plays the like man? Bride no, and Bra- no, Black? the actual Bride and Black's name canonically, like oh, his, uh, it's like Parker something. Parker? Parker Crane. Parker Crane. Parker Crane. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like Parker Crane is a man that um, tried to uh, <laughs> ca- how was it castrate himself. Yeah. And was um, admitted to a mental hospital, which is where Josh's mom lived, right. wa- worked. And then Josh's mom was like, hey, I'll take you to work one day. <laughs> and Josh met fucking Parker. And because right. of that, it seems to imply that Parker was so jealous of Josh that when he died... <laughs> Basically followed him around. Yeah. And also he dressed up like the bride in black because he also was a serial killer that killed women. Oh, that too. That too. Yeah, again, that's what's funny too is when he says that too, (laughs) there's so much happening because the B plot of this film is is basically Josh's mom teaming up with Specs and Tucker and a new psychic who is turned out to be friends, who is friends with Elise. Yeah, and met he's, Josh. he's introduced in the prologue as kind of a yeah. colleague of hers. It's almost kind of implied that he's m- maybe more of a hypnotist than she is. Yeah. He, he has abilities as well. He can feel. Uh, I'd say if it was a Stephen King book, it's like he's got the shine. Right. But like he clearly can feel like the other energy as well, as well as ghosts and yeah. shit. And it's kind of implied that his experience with Josh and his ghost shook him to the point of like leaving the business. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, the B-plot is basically Josh's mom, Tucker Specs, and new man, uh, new psychic man, yeah. trying to figure out why the fuck the Brian Black is attached right. to Josh. And then the A-plot is basically the film takes place right after the first Insidious. <laughs> um, it is pretty much revealed that um, Josh killed Elise, but it wasn't really Josh. It was Josh possessed, possessed by the Bride in Black. So that means that Josh is stuck in the further. So a lot of the beginning, a lot of the early film as well as like the start of the middle is basically Patrick Wilson just absolutely killing it yeah. as possessed evil Josh. <laughs> Patrick Wilson is probably the best thing I can say about this movie because he's just bringing yeah. it as oh, yeah. this angry demon in Josh's body. Or angry like, ghost in Josh's body I trying if, to kill people. If you like the further stuff in the first film, I think you like this one as sure. well because I think they give you more further. Mm-hmm. They give you not an, it's an explanation, quote unquote, but like they basically like the only way to save people in the real world is to like take out Parker Crane's mom. Yeah, uh, yeah. who is like the who's basically the main ghost, um, you know kind of terrorizing the family she basically shows up yells don't you dare and bitch slaps anybody in her way yeah um and it's funny to see that now and it's also funny to think that if you if you play video games out there and you played like the new (laughs) god of war games uh parker crane's mom is played by fucking freya freya yeah from those games and she i think does kill it in two like again that is that is an actress that like especially this time around it was like Oh, not only did you read the assignment, you did your own work. <laughs> like, you know exactly what kind of film you're in. And I remember when I first saw 2, the shot where when they go, like, into a flashback of Parker's life and you see that Parker, like, they think it's a little girl they're trying to save, but it ultimately is Parker who has yeah. to pretend to be a little girl. Yeah. And, like, in that scene, it's supposed to be a flashback they're seeing in the further, so they think no one can see them until the mom looks up 
and is like looking at them and <laughs> screams at them. Yeah, it's still it gives me a little chills even even though you know what's gonna happen. I think it's still done really well and it's yeah it's whatever you want from that first film you get more of but I would say just a tad sloppier. Yeah, I think the scares are across the board just not as fun. No. In this one, for the most part. No. Um, I, w- I would say the script is probably the most fun of aspect compared to yeah, the last one. Yeah, just the idea of, okay, Josh is kind of the villain now. God. Um, that's the, kind of fun. Mm-hmm. The scene where, uh, gosh, <laughs> the scene where Tucker and Specs thinks it's a smart idea to let the psychic go in alone to take on evil Josh. Yeah. While, while the joke about the quesadilla that happens in that <laughs> is not funny. Most of the jokes, I will say most of the jokes in Chapter 2 do not land. This one tries to have a lot more humor yeah. than the first one. And I, most of it, almost all of it doesn't work. I will say, I think both Chapter 2 and Red Door almost have, like, the type of humor where, like, there is a clip from Family Guy where Peter is alone in a theater and he just he, it starts laughing maniacally, but no one else does. <laughs> where it's like it's, it's, it's like it's making jokes for one guy to laugh really sure. hard at. Um, and ultimately, I remember in Chapter 2 the jokes did well. Oh, like, like in a, in a crowd, in the theatrical experience, which is like ah ha ha, like other <laughs> kind of stuff like that. But ultimately, like yeah, watching it by yourself, yeah, you don't get that experience. You're just yeah. like, okay, we're doing this. But the scene where the psychic basically like, when Evil Josh is like, ask your little dice, what do I have in the back of my hand? Uh, yeah, and you have like <laughs> you have Patrick Wilson pulling out teeth <laughs> because in the canonical in in universe explanation is like. Josh is looking shittier and shittier because it's a dead it's a dead spirit in a living body yeah. and it doesn't mesh well. And it's like aging him. Yes. He's like getting and, old and wrinkly and gross. Uh, and it's great cuz when he like when he goes full monster towards the end of it for yeah. like crinkly Yeah, most of the movie is kind of trying to play it cool and and like like the ghost is trying to pass off yes. that it is yeah. genuinely Josh. Yes. Um, and, and it's not till toward the end where it just cuts loose. Yeah. And gosh it's he yeah wilson i will agree with you is the best part about this film yeah and this yeah the script is just going for it a bit more in terms of like the silly the sillier aspects from the first film or even the films that like the stuff that you don't think is silly in that first film but it's like no yeah now that i think about this kind of fucking silly yeah or it's like you know the whole idea of astral projection Mm -hmm. it's like how like how easily can you go in and out of that? And you see that with Dalton where he's like, I can go into the further mommy to help dad. And basically just like falls in a corner in the basement and is just out like the light, <laughs> which I got to say as someone who has been told almost to a frustratingly frustrating degree, how easily I fall asleep. That was fast him going to sleep. And, yeah. I, and it's like, I know this is a movie, but if I met someone like that, that's insane. Yeah. Um, but Gosh, yeah, two is just a lot of fun. I also remember seeing two, like then, and I think now, like thinking like I don't really know where else you would like to go, unless you want to go the route of like chapter two hilariously. If you get around the surprise, Jenna Ortega, like because she's like the little girl that they meet at the very end of chapter two. It almost implies yeah. that the later chapters will not be prequels, but. Ghost we'll Elise yeah. fighting crime, basically. <laughs> yeah, because that's the but, like kind of last second 
stinger. Yeah, and uh, and I wish they fucking made that for three and four. Sure, yeah. Honestly, if there was an alternate reality where the Insidious trilogy ended after a third film where Ghost Elise fought yeah. stuff, yeah, I think that'd be okay well, too. See, then the Insidious franchise would have had to pivot and become an action franchise because that would because be. Elise would be force pushing everybody around. Which is hilarious you say that because that's basically what she does in three <laughs> <Okay>. and four. <laughs> I think it, yeah, in four it's like, yeah, in four at a certain point she's like. It's it's almost uh, it esque where it's like if you just believe it exists, you can bring yeah. it into the further reality, which is a vastly different type of thing. But I think <laughs> it's hilarious. But yeah, I it's clear in chapter two that like they're losing steam. Like yeah. they could definitely do more, but like maybe and Juan is kind of interested in his Country. other franchise. Yeah, yeah, because basically after this. He doesn't do Chapter 3, thankfully, because of Furious 7. Yeah. He does his own... He actually makes a cameo in, in Chapter 3 as a uh, as a drama school, like, head like head chairman. Yeah. For, like, at an audition. Like, the main girl's audition in Chapter 3 for, like, a drama school. He's the guy in it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's fun. That's great. Good for... I mean, that's cute. But ultimately, it's also like, thank God you're not involved in this. Yeah. Because you don't want to be a part of that. But... He's doing Furious 7, and then when they're making Chapter 4, I think he's probably knee-deep in Aquaman. Yeah. Which I honestly think is, is even though someone I do not love Aquaman, <laughs> I'd say sometimes I don't even like it, depending on the day, but, like, I think it's better than Chapter 4. <laughs> so it's, like, uh, one yeah. at a certain point is, like, you know, he's I think he's good with the Conjuring universe after 2 being, like, he's involved as a producer. Yeah. And that's it. While as in other situations, he, you know, in the Cities franchise, it's like, it's clear that, like, it's probably mainly name. Mm-hmm. It is a situation where um, when you get to ultimately where we get to the third film, unless you have something else you want to talk about with Chapter 2. Uh, no, it's just kind of the first one again, but worse. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> I mean, it's a good way to put it. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. It's kind of like, it seems like the mentality of two. And then, hilariously enough, going into our third film, there is a decade gap, which mm-hmm. I've already discussed the prequels that happened. But in between that, I will have to say that the landscape of horror, surprisingly enough, has changed again. Yeah. Where it's like when the Red Door comes out this year, it is now a situation where a cinematic horror universe is not hilariously the dumbest thing you can create yeah because it's still making money yeah there is technically now uh i do you count la llorona in the conjuring universe might as well right i think yeah at that point you have eight to nine films in In a connected universe conjuring universe including well not even including that we have a nun two Coming right, out in September, on the way. and a Conjuring Four. Um, I was going to say the Devil Made Me Do It as a joke, but that's literally the title <laughs> three. The third one. Um, so we already have ten plus films in a connected horror universe that hasn't burned, crashed, and burned after five films. Yeah. So now we're at a situation. It's amazing because they've been mostly bad for a while. Are they the second most successful cinematic universe? <laughs> Wait, there's no way. There's no way they're. I'm talking like in terms of like they haven't like, crashed and like... burned, and they've all they've also kind of 
delve deep delve into different things other than the warrens yeah like, i mean i guess about... harry potter counts as a cinematic universe right because you got the fantastic yeah. beasts do you think they've <sighs> that's an interesting and star kind of... wars is kind of a cinematic universe yeah you're right i um, I, I think uh, yeah my brain i'm just thinking mcu those are like... yeah we think of those as series in the mcu as a yeah, cinematic universe yeah i think star yeah. wars does count in that and so does harry potter there wasn't any world of fucking <laughs> harry potter that is now done with films yeah. as of right now um <laughs> we'll see yeah but i i will say in terms of like when it comes to studios trying a cinematic universe and nine times out of ten crashing and burning yeah um it is early st- trying to start one with a single film and just getting a big no we can't do this the conjuring universe has gone strong and in the grand scheme of that pretty much all the creatives surrounding the original Insidious, whether it's, you know, Blum as producer, Linnell as a writer and actor in the film, yeah. and now more of a prominent director than he was in that film came out, and Juan, who is now just, like, I think is now, he's dealing with Aquaman 2. Yeah. Which, I have no fucking clue what that's supposed to be. <laughs> like, I don't know how that's going to really be, but apparently... Speaking of Aquaman 2, apparently in the process of filming Aquaman 2, Patrick Wilson, who is in the Aquaman films, yes, uh, I would say is the best part Ocean of that first. Master. He's the best part of that first film. I think the second thing would be uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen mm-hmm. as Black Manta. But Patrick Wilson, who did the first Aquaman, and apparently during the filming of Aquaman 2, I don't know how anyone should take this, but saw how Juan was directing Aquaman 2, and got a bit of the director bug. Yeah. And thought maybe I could maybe I could do this. You know, I've been in this industry long enough. I've worked with a lot of great creatives. Maybe I'd like to do I'd do a directing myself. Yeah. Yeah. And so lo and behold, the Insidious franchise is at a weird point where they can't do more wacky adventures of Elise films because they basically <laughs> wrote themselves in a corner because they they overstayed their welcome even after chapter three, but they still did a four. Yeah, and so Insidious is clearly in their minds being like, "Hey, we kind of we want to do it a Conjuring. We want to do a Conjuring like situation in terms of like having more of a connected universe." Um, as we speak, there is an Insidious uh, spinoff called Threads, an Insidious Tale. I think is what yeah. the story is called. But basically, they want to branch out, make their own cinematic horror universe, and. You know, maybe look more into. The, I actually have no idea what the fuck that would look like. <laughs> but ultimately, I think they were like, "Hey, we, if you're down, we kind of want to do another Lambert fam- film, yeah, and be one that kind of ends their story, yeah. Even though Chapter Two basically ends with, and they all lived happily ever after, and Dalton and Josh don't remember a single thing that happened in the first right. two films. They thought, hey. We want to bring the family back because not only has it been 10 years, it would be fascinating. Dalton, who was in the first, the, the kid that goes to a coma in the first two films, is played by Ty Simpkins, yeah. who's a child actor who was in not just the Insidious films, but um, Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3. Uh, the Nice Guys. He is basically played a lot of bit roles, but ultimately bit roles that kind of stood on their own, even yeah. against like RDJ. Yeah. And so ultimately. You know, Ty Simpkins is now an adult in his twenties, <laughs> yeah. who is just in the whale. If you've seen the whale, he's the yeah. he's the missionary that tries to 
kind of convert Charlie or help Charlie right. in that film. Well, I think a lot of people also had a little bit of a Ty Simpkins jump scare in Avengers Endgame. In Endgame, yeah. Because he shows up for the funeral scene, and it's and like, wait a minute, that's that's the kid. That's yeah, the same guy. Because he's like, I think, 17, 18 in that yeah. film. Just for that he's small so tall. Role. He's so tall. His <laughs> puberty's a bitch. Yeah. But now that it's like this kid is actually more prominent, he's in Oscar-winning films, you know, he's definitely has that point of like getting more and more well more seen more yeah. aware of it's gotten to the point where in his career where people have like you know fun fact that was the kid from insidious like he's been in this industry for that long right that it's like you know what like it might be fun to bring the family back yeah and you know even if you were only going to give foster a few more lines at least we let foster speak and also that guy's still an actor yeah <laughs> And we're going to bring the same kid back. We'll bring Patrick Wilson back. We'll bring Rose back. We'll bring... Foster. We'll bring... Yeah, we'll bring Elise back. They did not bring... Um, I assume it's not the same uh, Callie, right? It is not the same Callie. <laughs> I actually double checked because I was okay. curious. If they had gone that far, I would have been shocked. Yeah. Um, but I love... Yeah, because I, I had that same thought, too, where it's like, did they find that fame ba same baby? Yeah. And just, like, try to pull her in? And it's funny, too, because she Callie only shows up in the beginning uh, funeral scene. Oh, right. And then right. basically after that, it's like uh, Josh calls Renee once and is like, what's up, Callie? It's not your weekend. Also, Callie's at a girls' night. <laughs> it's like Callie never shows up again. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, it is hilarious that Insidious has existed long enough that you could almost have a bit of a nostalgic tie to seeing yeah, a family. This that almost feels like a legacy sequel. And, and it kind of is. Yeah, and it kind of <laughs> is. And it's no surprise that, like, you know, if they want to do this film, you know, Lee, I think Lee didn't write the script. No, Scott Teams did. Yeah. But I think Lee helped with the story. Right, he did. And, uh, of course, both Lee and James are busy doing their own things. So they're not going to be a part of it other than what story or producing. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, they, they they have a empty director's chair. You have a lead actor who's got the bug. Yeah. Why not just give him the shot? Sure. So with Insidious, The Red Door, you get the directorial debut of Patrick Wilson as well as the finale to the Lambert family story. And is if the first question that you have is well is this film really necessary the answer is no but <laughs> but have any of them been necessary have any besides of them been the necessary? <laughs> also there is some fun stuff in this yeah i would argue that like out of all the uh, out of uh, three four in the red door this one i think is just a little under chapter two, in my opinion, in terms of likability, mm. in terms of what it's trying to do. Even though I would say, and I think both Andy and I agree, it's the best looking mm -hmm. of the it's of the of the series. But clearly, looks like, the most like an actual movie. Yeah, but at the same time, like his uh, Wand's style is noticeably gone because he's yeah. not there. You don't have and, as much yeah. uh, dynamic mm -hmm. camera and movement. To be honest, I don't want wilson pretending to do one no, stuff or trying to no. do one yeah it's just clear that like i one of the reasons honestly one of the main reasons why i try to pitch why i pitched this to andy and why we want to do it is because when the first trailer came out it hit me like a ton of bricks when i saw footage of this film <laughs> and i'm like this looks nothing like the first two films and obviously looks nothing like three and four that are almost trying to 
Are they kind like of, aping yes, wand style? To a degree, yes. Yeah. And so it's like this is the this is the weirdest hilariously looks this is nothing the weirdest, like the other. Yeah, this is a weirdest looking insidious film. And also when we were watching it, it hilariously even though the first film, you know, sprinkles in spooky stuff here and there, but ultimately is mainly just a drama. Insidious the Red Door to me feels way more like a family drama than any of the first oh, any yeah. of the films. And arguably like is more focused on the family, which I think is nice. I think it works yeah. well and I think when it ultimately does start doing some spooky scary ghost stuff, it it, it your your mileage may vary in yeah. terms of what you think. I think the most I, I think this one's strength is its family drama. Yes. More so than its horror. I, I, I would argue and this might be a point of disagreement between us. I would say this one probably does the family drama the best of the trilogy. I um, I would agree, except for the Renee in the room. Well, sure, sure. Renee, Renee yeah. gets very shafted. Shafted. Because <laughs> yeah. it's the reason why I would say that, and why Andy might agree to a degree, is so due to the end of chapter two, Dalton and Josh don't remember anything that happens in the first films. Yeah. But they also imply that because of that, Dalton has always had a chip on his shoulder, especially after puberty, involving like death secrets he's always felt like there's something missing but no one's telling him yeah and then josh on the other hand literally becomes it's not that he has like dementia or alzheimer's but he literally becomes so foggy yeah memory and like almost just function wise that ultimately he's a completely different person yeah and due to the events that happen in the second film which is basically evil josh going up against the family like even though they know it wasn't josh like renee just can't really let it go but yeah. also it's like something that he can't even remember so ultimately she just divorces him. yeah she er erases his memory of the event that traumatized her and then divorces him. yeah and almost like and still blames him to a degree yeah not really meaning like, to but as as you know ex-wives go she's still very like you know communicative and supportive and that sort of thing they have a yeah. relatively healthy relationship yeah to the um, point where like when for estranged people yeah and when it to a point too where like when this film ends josh almost implies like hey we might get back together right, 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 right. and it's like this is really the one thing that was like, <laughs> she couldn't have just separated but, you <laughs> yeah it's it's not the best look on renee because it clearly no. Has a obviously has a massive effect on Josh, and obviously yes. his brain is fogged up by the subconscious suppression of these yeah. memories. Uh, but also, he's just clearly depressed um, yeah. by also, all of it. And by, also, at, by this point, we have now gone from a a series that has leads of lead of like nobodies as leads to the point now where it's like. The Red Door clearly can't do much with Renee because Rose Byrne is busy. fucking busy. <laughs> because at this point, I don't know if both of those shows are still going on, but she technically has two shows on Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah. She's been in a bunch of films, including the fact that this year she is going to be in the Ninja Turtles film. Yeah. She is in a, she's been in a bunch of comedies. She's done she's, uh, a lot of good uh, stuff. Leatherhead? Is that she her is, name? She is Leather. She is the... She is the Cajun, she, at least in the at least in the in the like, '80s uh, cartoon. She's yeah. like a, it's like a Cajun uh, crocodile. So, yeah. and I assume they're gonna do the Dundee thing more than anything. Like she's yeah. gonna use her actual accent. But you know, yeah, between Insidious and Red Door, it's like 
She's done both the Neighbors films. She's done a bunch of rom-coms. She's got television shows. She's so much bigger than yeah. she was in that first one. Arguably, she is the biggest name in this film. Probably. Next to Patrick Wilson, who I think is like... I think now she's is... She's been in more yes. high-profile stuff than he yeah. has. But Patrick Wilson hasn't done, like, hasn't gone to the the, the Frank Grillo, Thomas Jane, like, straight-to-DVD, <laughs> no, Redbox stuff no. as much. He, I mean, Patrick Wilson, I think, is he almost involved more into what we what we called, like, the... You know, back pocket, like, I like that guy. Yeah. Kind of films where, like, but he's, even... he's mostly just kind of been busy with Conjuring. Yeah. Like... I mean, I think that's... Yeah, it's the Conjuring as well as, you know, doing fucking Aquaman. And yeah. just... He also shows up in Annabelle 3. Like, right, right. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised that, like, he's at a good point now where, like, he's got, I think, several kids. He's happily married. Yeah. He's, you know, making bank just being Ed Warren. He just has to show up and be like... <laughs> Lorraine, what's going on? And he just makes a good amount of money. Yeah, like of course, I. I would like to see him get used more. Absolutely, in, in better things. And yeah, especially musically after we watch this film. Yeah, we'll and, uh, and well, in what is it, Conjuring Two? He flexes his chops too. Oh, he, he, he does. does an Elvis song. He does, and he's good. He's yeah. good in Conjuring he's, Two. He's a charmer, that Patrick oh, Wilson. Patrick Wilson, what a what, what a dog. I was gonna say what a cutie, but I don't. That's not, <laughs> that doesn't describe him well. Um, he, he's he did like, do a scamp. A way back, even before Insidious, he did a Todd Field film, like the guy who made Tar. He was in, yeah. Yes, he did. Uh, which I haven't uh, seen, Little, Little Children, Children but I've Kate heard Winslet. it's great. I've heard it's yeah. great, and he's great in it. But there's I haven't also seen it. there's another Watchmen alum in that film, fucking Jackie Earl Haley. Oh yeah, he's in that film too. The, yeah. he, oh, I forgot he's in Todd Field's last film before, before Tar. Tar yeah. <laughs> so like, it would be nice to see somebody rope in Patrick Wilson for a film like that again. You know, he honestly would also have like solid energy for a Wes Anderson film. Sure. Yeah. Like even an antagonist point of like he <laughs> yeah. would he would do well in, but uh, but yeah, Red Door. Go back, anyway, back on. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. With the Red Door, it is yeah. It's I do think besides the Renee of the situation, the family dramas. It is probably the the strongest in like, this I film. Think the yeah, the Dalton Josh stuff is well done. Yeah, for this franchise anyway. Because Josh being a foggy mess leads to him kind of almost being a stereotypical. Kind of an ab- yeah, dad. absent father. You know, he's not really absent. He's just like. Well, it's like he's absent, but not. But it's like by accident. It's like because yeah. he, he can't keep yeah. up with his kids' lives because he doesn't see them all the time, and he's yes. super forgetful, mm-hmm. and he's stressed and depressed all the time. He just can't do it. Yeah. And so, yeah, to his yeah, kids, obviously, he, that looks like mm-hmm. he doesn't care. But he also he can still teach. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's still a teacher. Well, those uh, who can't do teach, Logan. Oh wow, wow! You said that with such confidence in this. <laughs> the son of a teacher over here. I was gonna I'm say going to also burn for that one. As the son of an assistant principal, ex-teacher. <laughs> yeah, that is. I had I shivered a little bit, even knowing it was a joke. But yeah, I, Josh, I would say has the most interesting stuff in this film. And I would also say, like, yeah. it's a little bit cut short, but still works in terms of, like, Josh digging into his fogginess more leads him to discover an absent family member right. that I don't even know. I think is brought up once in Chapter 2 yeah. about his absentee dad. I remember there being some talk about it. Yeah. At some like, point. like an absentee dad in, in, in Red Door. Most of his story is diving deep into 
finding out that his father wasn't entirely like a, just a shithead dad. Yeah, there was something that happened. There was something that happened, and it also is. I mean, it is since it's an insidious film, it happens to tie into Josh and Dalton's abilities right. and how like their how their latent powers are now becoming more active as they're trying to figure out why they're so foggy. Right. And while this is happening. Uh, Dalton is going to college. We ha- yeah. It's a little bit of a college film. Right. It's um, kind of a lot of bit of a college film. <laughs> no, you're right. It's a lot of bit of a college film. But ultimately, it's odd because yeah. like it's it is an environment you would never expect to see an Insidious film, <laughs> and it's very clear that it's still pretty odd because there is <laughs> probably the most uh, I would say not uh, like ironically funny stuff is in the one house party scene that they have in the film. Yeah, where basically, like a frat party. Yeah, like Josh was just like, hey, I remember going to a frat. You should go, Dalton. And Dalton's like, you don't really know me, do you, Dad? <laughs> and they have a fight, but ultimately he ends up going to the party with his new friend Chris, Yeah, who is just his a... His accidental roommate. His accidental roommate. She's, she's, I mean, she's, she's a girl, so she's not supposed to be his roommate, but yeah. because her name is Chris, she gets assigned to his room mistakenly. Classic mis, mis- yeah. Like, yeah. mistake, and... Uh, she is the she is the one that I think gets the most like in my head Peter Griffin <laughs> like just like clearly trying she to go does, for those types of lines she gets those kind of lame jokes but I also you know I liked her I, I, I maybe oh, it I was do. just her performance it's her, I think it's her performance because um, I like her too because she I was charmed by her even when mm-hmm. she had kind of a few too many <laughs> jokes yeah I think she um, is uh yeah, her performance I think her the actress does a really good job. Yeah, and I again, Ty Simpkins, I think also does a good job. He's a yeah. good actor, and now that he's able to play Dalton as someone who is not sleeping just or child. is just yeah. there, like I feel like he does give enough into Dalton to make it interesting, especially when his artistic abilities lead to his latent powers coming out more. Yes, yes, and he's going to art school, so yeah. Yeah, he is. He's he's very interested in art, and he begins drawing his traumatized visions and things. <laughs> he, I mean, I think it's it's really. I do think it's like creative. I thought it was silly initially when we watched it, but when I rethought about, it, I was like, this is fun. Where it's like, it's a clever way to bring it back. Yeah, especially when it's like what basically brings it back is like his arting art teacher like inadvertently. Like, unlocks his suppression yeah it does like a retro hypnosis thing yeah it's like on the count of 10 i'm gonna go down from that and you're I gonna want you to free yourself of yeah. everything and yeah. it's like yeah it works in the same realm and it's like even though that is on a degree silly it's on brand with the rest of the series yeah, and it yeah. works yeah and but with the house party scene um the <laughs> the house party scene is supposed to introduce the idea of um dalton astral projecting at least being aware of it yeah and because of that there is a joke in the house party about like listen we don't want to have any accidents like the (laughs) one guy that died in the house silence all right back to partying and it's like that is the most awkward situation and then later on i was like oh wait there we're gonna see this fucking kid that died um it's also weird because it at least maybe this was just me and where my head was at but like my initial reaction when he like stopped the party was like you know we don't want anything bad to happen like i was thinking about all the 
Greek life scandal that's happened in the last few years of like I, frats getting shut down for sexual mm-hmm. assault and I, things like that. I for a second I thought that too. I just thought it was a poor joke. Yeah, of that. I was like, are we really doing that? And then it's oh, just a kid died yeah. and he's a ghost now. And also the guy who says that is wearing a diaper. Yeah, because he's a he's hilariously he is making an announcement to the whole house, but he's a freshman. <laughs> So, like, he's getting hazed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why is, like, it's Nick the Dick, Nick I the think Dick. is what he calls yeah. himself. Penis Parker. Uh, pe- God. Yeah. Really. I bet Patrick Wilson realized that that would have been better and, like, had, like, a Insidious Patrick 2 Wilson yelling. Patrick Wilson tried really hard to get Tom Holland for this film. Yeah, truly. You can, yeah. yeah, that's definitely something he would do. Yeah. Um, he was like, this is our chance to get into the MCU. He can do this. Tom Holland can bring us in. Fuck Venom. Yeah. Sidious is the real MCU. He's like, nope, Feige hasn't intro- called me. I'm going to force my way in. <laughs> but, yeah, that scene ultimately leads to him seeing the kid that I assumed, like, just uh, vomited his guts out. Yeah. And probably just, like, drowned in his own vomit. And it is uh, his design's really good. Yeah. I think it's well done. I do think that the uh, scare that happens involving the kid when he's under the bed and oh, he looks yeah, up. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, Very Evil Dead-esque, and I wasn't yeah. expecting that. And gross. you know what? Very gross and very silly. And you know what? Even though I didn't like it at the time, looking back now, it's fine. Because, <laughs> again, like, yeah, it's it had been a long time, again, because I haven't seen it in cities and theaters since Chapter 2, so it's been a decade since I saw one of these. Yeah. And I just remember, like, my when we were seeing it in theaters, my butthole was clenched the whole time because I was like, it's just going to fucking pop out. And I can't, in, I can't control it. Yeah. Like in Red Door, like, yeah, jo- yeah. like it's like these scares, which ultimately led to, I think, like some good moments. And I think the best scare yeah. stuff to me is the, uh, the MRI scene. Yeah, that is, that that's is a good one. And I, I, very cool. I didn't see the trailer for this movie. Um, but I heard that the entirety of that scare is spoiled in the trailer. So I forgot completely. Um, I enjoyed the scene, but I can totally see where, like, if somebody watched that trailer and then watched the movie, they'd be like, well, I wish they hadn't given all that away. Because it's a good scene. And yeah. I think that's – it's one of the kind of – there's fleeting moments throughout the film that show um, Wilson's skill as a director. And I think something that he clearly learned from Juan is the patience in yes. in a scare. Because oh, there is – there's a lot of, like – you it the, the the film telegraphs that it's coming but it makes you wait a good like yeah. 30 seconds to two minutes for it I, to happen i would even argue like my second favorite scare of the film is not even a scare and that is the at the, the beginning yeah the prologue yeah. shot where he's in the yeah. car and there's clearly a ghost walking towards the car and then yeah. he blocks the ghost comes back ghost is not yeah. in his car it's just gone there's no jump scare it's just yeah. kind of setting the tone mm-hmm. it is i think it's a it's a great again showing what you said like wilson having the talent is like it is showing the audience that while they do not remember their powers the ghosts are still there right and are right. still aware of them yeah and it leads to i think a film that like as it starts i feel like feels unnecessary initially and then as it goes on and a lot of those breadcrumbs come back together to be a pretty decent cookie like it's yeah it is it is like i think at a certain point we both look at each other and we're like okay this kind of, <laughs> this is, i kind of like this yeah i it went from like oh god i don't know where the fuck this is going this feels like the <laughs> bad ending to yeah. like oh shit this is this is kind of fun and ultimately it does lead to a rushed ending but still a fun one 
um in terms of the climax i feel like a little bit it's like yeah. it gets it almost has an, an air of like oh how 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 is this going to tie up like all this together and yeah how is well, josh going to be involved and right because they inevitably have to bring the lipstick demon back into play oh yeah and he doesn't he's he's certainly is he on screen more than ever maybe not more than the first film no i don't yeah um, I don't th- I don't, yeah but he's on screen more than i expected um he's he's the most i think he is definitely the most visible yeah the most one. well lit <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is kind of to its detriment um but uh yeah, he has to show up, but the but at, but at that point the film is like almost over, and so you don't yeah. really get that it's, much built into it. It's still shocking, though. Yeah, it's like, surprising. I, I will say that, like, as somebody who is like, okay, when the <coughs> when the fuck is this guy gonna show up? Yeah, and he, there are teases of like, oh, he's right there. Who maybe he's right there. When you actually see the lipstick demon in its full, it is like a oh shit. Like, oh yeah, fuck. It's like in media res, like oh god. But it also is like when he shows up, um, it implies that like you know he's blocking the way for Dalton to get out, <laughs> and he ultimately still gets out. Yeah, yeah. And it's like almost like wow, damn, that was crazy, dude. Let's go back. <laughs> yeah. And it's like you want to go. F- you saw that fucking thing nearly choke your yeah. friend. You want to go back? And he does, and it leads to. I would say, you know, one of the, I think the creepiest scene in the whole film, which is basically the lipstick demon making a shrine. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, he basically makes, like, it's a small world shrine that, like, has, like, multiple different shrines. It's almost like the world of tomorrow, but of Dalton's <laughs> life up at that point. Yeah, yeah. It's like, here's our time that we spent together. Yeah, he, like, throws together mannequins and, like, recreates <laughs> moments. Yeah, from... it's, it's like when Josh is learning about his, like, his own trauma and like what was suppressed from the first two films, as well as like information his about trauma his, dad. From his childhood. Yeah. yeah. As he's figuring that out on top of the fact that this film starts with his mom dying, right. his mom's dead. Josh is in a bad place. Josh is not in a great place and he is getting a lot dumped on him at once. Yeah. While this is happening, Dalton is basically going through a theme park ride of like the lipstick <laughs> demon being like, yeah. here's all the fun things we did together when I kidnapped you. Yeah. And it's like, this is vastly different ways to introduce this to both characters. And I am absolutely here for that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's then it leads, variety. yeah, leads to a possessed Dalton. Of course. Which, oh my God, that's some good shit. Yeah. I mean, Ty Simpkins really sells that. Yeah. And almost made me go like, I know you're not in the exorcist films, but you could be pretty good. Yeah, maybe you should. If be. you want to be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'll we'll see what Pazuzu can do with you. Pazuzu. Uh, but ultimately, like, in in the end with Rendor, it is I think a worthwhile enough uh, film to to watch. Is it worth seeing in theaters? Again, uh, yeah. mileage may vary. Yeah. If you love th- the Insidious yeah. films, I'd say it's worth seeing in theaters. If you like them, but you feel like I can wait. Just wait. Yeah. I think you'll enjoy. I mean, it's... I feel like if you genuinely love the Insidious movies. I can't imagine you wouldn't thoroughly enjoy this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I it, mean, it, it's it different tonally and visually, but like, yeah, it brings the Lamberts back. It does things with the Lamberts that you would probably want from another Lambert movie. It brings the lipstick demon back. It yeah. does scares the way you'd probably want. Like, I mean, um, it's, it's the type of film where it's like review wise and hasn't been getting phenomenal reviews like at all, yeah. but like, it opened a week after Dial of Destiny, 
or maybe the same week as Dial of Destiny. Yeah. And then it's in the the week after Dial of Destiny came out, like it pushed Insidious pushed it off the top. Right. Domestically, like Insidious had enough people kind of excited about it that they were able to kind of get number one in a, in a weekend at the box office. Yeah. And I think make its money back. Like I think Patrick Wilson Probably. at one point said, you know, yeah, thank you to all the fans yeah. that came it's... out and. It's made uh, about ten times its budget back. Perfect, fantastic! Like <laughs> sixteen million budget made one hundred and sixty million. I was wondering if it hit a hundred, and I was like, "Thank God!" Yeah, and I'm glad that Wilson like has a success under it. So like, whenever he does next, I hope he is able to do whatever any more creative he does. Yeah. I hope he ends the film, whatever kind of genre the other film is. I still hope it's a ghost song that he sings on, because <laughs> yeah. that's the perfect way to end any film. I, yeah. Because Insidious the Red Door ends with a song by Ghost. It's sung a, by... a, gov- a ghost cover oh, of, a, ghost of cover? a Shakespeare oh. sister song, but yes. Patrick Wilson yes. is featured on the song. Incredible! It was yeah. it was it was a blast to end the film like that. Yeah, and it's clear that people still have interest in Insidious, but it's I'm glad that it gives the Lamberts like a resting place in yeah. terms of like story wise. Because like it I already do, it thought... does kind of do the the annoying thing in modern legacy movies where it's like oh well the characters did have a happy ending but now we got to bring them back and make them all depressed so that we can give them a new happy ending yeah and i don't <laughs> Kinda like indiana jones and you know <laughs> i do yeah i think i did think about that too when we were leaving i was like why they came up like if let, they didn't let these up, people rest god damn it. it's like god damn it like two yet yeah, you can just let them be like, yeah yeah but thankfully, Red Door ends on a, yeah. a satisfying enough note that if you are a big fan of Insidious, it is worth seeing. Yeah, and I think so. as a trilogy of these, like with these three films, the Lamberts have a story that I think is engaging enough across the board that while it is sloppier as the series goes on, it is still fun, still has unique elements in each film. And even when the director changes with that third film, Wilson still brings a lot to the table that show that like whatever insidious does from here on out if they get a director that is just as interested as like wilson was with red door there could be some good stuff and right to something yeah. another good kind of entry what even though it is a spinoff still something in the universe quote-unquote that could be interesting yeah and so yeah that's the on insidious trilogy yeah it's really clean cut we i thought rest I mean, in peace lamberts yeah no they're still alive well, but, in but in the world rest in life in peace okay yes and that, that rest without any more demons uh, in the rest in Rillip? life Rillip? <laughs> rest in life in peace Rillip. yeah Rillip. just do your own thing i hope to god dalton is not pulled back into this <laughs> but at the same time maybe because uh, i mean i again it is one of those things where like it's you can't stop the money machine from going even when strikes are happening it seems yeah. they're still trying to push these kind of things hopefully if it does get stopped at a certain point it will lead to better films in this you know like in this connected universe that like at least bring kind of the same amount of dedication that Juan brought yeah. to the Lamberts and Wilson brought to like finishing the Lambert story and we thought you know after Bionicle once that was a blast to do I thought why not do something for, you know, everybody out there that maybe saw the red door and yeah. probably didn't think about the fact that it's technically a trilogy in its own sense. Right. Um, and you can basically treat it as such when the red door comes out, because I think it's fucking impossible to get like a box set <laughs> of like one through four right now. Yeah. So like, if you want to make your own little box set when red door is out and like physical, like that's the perfect way to do it. Cause one, go. two red door are pretty much, you know, 
ri- like you know, rise and fall of you know a family that really shouldn't have had to go through this much bullshit yeah. and these many photographs to remind themselves of said trauma. Yeah. But yeah, this franchise really is a one two skip a few. You're at the red door. Yeah, or I, this trilogy is yes, one two skip a few. I do not recommend watching three and four <laughs> unless you are morbidly curious. Again, yeah, one two red door. That's it. You don't need three and four. Yeah. Unless you love Elise more than anything in the world, well, I feel who does? like. I mean, I, not me, I guess. <laughs> not me. You're the and only I, one. Logan. And apparently not you, because you didn't even watch. I three did and not four. even watch. Yeah. I <laughs> did the were, minimum for this assignment. You're all better for it, honestly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we are excited now because we are going yes. from ghosts. We're going from Toa's to astral projection to now in august revenge we're going to revenge back last god just last year yeah feels much was it around this time last year it was it was because last year andy and i said on one of our pockets episodes that we were going to do uh god park chan wook's vengeance trilogy yes park chan wook's vengeance trilogy and we actually started researching for that episode excited to do it because it's got a lot of great films behind it However, <laughs> and then we realized what is the bane of many cinephiles' existence in distribution. <laughs> yeah, the Dis- the lack of distribution for yes, Old Boy, Boy, which the is the second most, in the trilogy and the most, the most famous. Popular, yeah, yeah. And, but thankfully, thank to our uh, Lord and Savior Neon in yeah. this scenario in terms of independent film, they are re-releasing Old Boy in theaters and we in august i believe releases august 16th is in and is in theaters for a week so go check it out phenomenal but because of that we thought well that's a sign that's the perfect time and since we tried to do it last year around this time (laughs) why not actually get a chance to do it this time and so sometime in august we're going to shoot for closer to the 19th but we need another week to kind of yeah. Get our time in to get all of it in and also talk about it. We will do it the 26th. Yeah. but um, If we need to. Yeah, if we need to. Um, we will let you know. Again, we'll follow the socials. Yeah. It'll be we'll somewhere definitely... latter half of August. Yeah. Follow our thread. Do we have a thread? <laughs> Should I? Do I need to make a thread? I don't think you do yet. I can just keep posting X's for now. Yes. Keep posting X's <laughs> for now. But yeah, just tune. Yeah, keep posted on us in August. But we are absolutely doing uh, Park Chan Wook's Vengeance trilogy. So yeah. excited because yeah. even the first film we watched was a fucking it was tragic. A trip. It was a tragic trip that was worth it. <sighs> it's yeah. so good, and I'm gonna rewatch it just to get ready for this. <laughs> but at least yeah. I know now what I'm getting into. Right. But uh, in a case you don't remember what that is, the trilogy is Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Yeah old boy and then is it lady vengeance? lady vengeance yeah yes so three um, films that are not, not actual one two three directly narratively yeah. connected it is um, thematic there there might be some loose narrative threads that i'm forgetting about but i don't Cause, think cause it's I know, meant to be like a series because I, I know old boy is actually based off of a graphic novel right right and that's the only one of the three the other two are original yeah but yeah, yeah uh, it's the <clears throat> the thematic elements of vengeance revenge all consuming longing. yeah yeah it's violence violence um, oh yeah definitely violence and for yeah. one film hammers yeah um, yes and um you know logan this will what a perfect trilogy to serve as our our kind of surrogate anniversary special because oh our, our yeah. three-year anniversary will Jeez. be around the time of when this episode releases yeah 
it, it um, would actually will be <laughs> so perfect way to celebrate by watching a a long sought after trilogy a, a, a trilogy that we both are 100 percent down for yeah. but maybe not everyone around is also down for but <laughs> well, hey we'll... it's also i feel like the the did you know old boy is actually part of a trilogy is like kind of a classic ism of cinephile circles I, like yeah, did I, you know so i feel I, like this we've been cooking on this one for a while i feel like on your kino card you have to like to, to get that second or <laughs> have third have you seen yeah the old boy prequel and sequel yeah, the first notch is have you seen old boy the second yeah. is did you know old boy was a trilogy and the third one is have you heard of a man called christopher nolan and then from that point forward how many notches you have just depends on who you ask yeah but yeah, tune in in August. We'll give you, you know, more updates yeah. on when it comes out for Parching Wilkes Avengers Trilogy. But until then, I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.